Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. So good to have you here with us today. Hope you guys are doing great. Hope you're having a uh, uh, just a I don't know great day. All right. So uh, whatever you're up to, we appreciate you joining us. Appreciate you being here. We got a great guest for you today. Before we get to that, let me remind you if you haven't already, uh, you got to pick up the successful speaker: five steps for booking gigs, getting paid, building your platform. The book's been out for a little while now. We've had great feedback from so many people. If you are one of the ones that has uh, read it or sent us some uh, some kind words about us, left left us a rating and review on Amazon. We so deeply appreciate it. But if you have not picked it up, go pick it up. You can find it on Amazon, uh, on a Kindle, on Audible, wherever you buy or listen to your books, then definitely uh, definitely check out The Successful Speaker. So today we're going to be talking with my friend Jay Bear. We've had Jay on the show before. Jay is a uh, very successful speaker. He's been in the industry for a long time. A very, uh, very, uh, very much a wealth of, of knowledge when it comes to all things speaking. Also host a podcast called Standing Ovation. So definitely make sure you check that out as well. But uh, Jay did a recently did a uh, basically a, a research study of a bunch of different, about 150 different event planners. And uh, we just published the res- results uh, at the beginning of the year. And so we dig into that and just kind of talk through what is it that, that, that event planners are looking for? What is it that event planners uh, want? What are the topics that they're looking for? Uh, what are the ways that event planners and meeting planners find speakers? So there's a, a lot of different stuff we get into that again, it's more than just kind of anecdotal, like I kind of feel like this, but again, the actual research of, of what Jay and his team have discovered here. So a lot of good information. Let's jump right into this conversation with Jay Bear. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, joined by my friend, Mr. Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. Jay, how are you today, sir? I am pretty darn good, Grant. Always great to talk to you. Love the show. uh, And I'm glad everybody's out there listening. Now, uh, you actually have a new podcast yourself that people need to be checking out. Where can people find this? Oh, thanks. It's called Standing Ovation. Yeah, relatively new show. Each week I interview a speaker and the format's a, a little different. We we open the show by listening to that speaker's signature story. So an actual clip of them delivering their signature story on stage. And that, that story is usually four, five, six, seven minutes. And then we spend the rest of the podcast deconstructing that story. Where, where did it come from? How have they changed it, packaged it, polished it uh, over years in some cases? It's a really interesting look at kind of the craft of onstage storytelling. Yeah. There's uh, what's been fun for me. I've listened to several episodes. Uh, there are, uh, I'm a clapper. Um, so you have people have Thanks. to tune in to actually Answer the show what, known as clappers. Thank what you that means. Yeah. Uh, but what's interesting is there's a lot of speakers that we all like look up to admire, respect, friends, colleagues, that sort of thing. Um, but a lot of them, like we haven't actually heard speak. 
and or have heard them talk about their story, but actually haven't heard them deliver it. So being able to hear uh, all of these like signature stories has been really, really good. So uh, again, make sure people uh, check out uh, Standing Ovation with Jay Bear. So yeah. Jay, you just released a, uh, a couple of studies, three different studies here, yeah. uh, kind of reports. Um, first of all, can you kind of give us the thought process uh, behind these reports? Why did you do them in the first place? What was the, the goal here? Yeah, I mean, look, Grant, as, as you know, uh, I run a content marketing consulting firm and, and have for a long, long time. And so using content to solve problems and gain attention is something that, that I do on behalf of corporate clients all over the world and have for a really long time. And I sort of felt like, geez, it's interesting being in this speaking business uh, with you and so many people listening right now. There's really not very much known uh, about the industry. Like we have a lot of anecdotes and, and, and stories and urban legends and things like that about how the speaking business works, but there really hasn't been a lot of research. And I'm thinking, geez, you know, I, I get five emails a day about the state of email marketing or the state yeah. of influencer marketing or whatever. And I'm like, well, here's the speaking industry, which is, you know, by all accounts, a pretty, pretty sizable uh, business. And, and nobody's really done any research on what really makes it tick. And I thought, well, geez, I've got a market research division and I've got the ability to do this and the contacts we should just do it. And, and, if, and if by doing this uh, research and these reports, uh, it, it provides some additional awareness for me amongst meeting planners, well, well that's great. And so the idea behind the reports, and there's three separate reports here that we're going to be going through. Uh, number one, the, the, the topics that meeting planners want for 2020. Yes. Uh, the second one, the, what meeting planners want and nine things that drive them crazy about speakers. Uh, and then the top nine ways that meeting planners find speakers. And so we're going to take the time to dig into each one of these. So the uh, idea behind it is look like, um, from what I've seen on it, is that you, you interviewed 150 different meeting planners. This looks yes. like primarily in the corporate association space. I am guessing that for a lot of these, these are... Um, uh, for context sake, these are going to be people who are hiring speakers probably in the $10,000 and up range. Um, kind of what would you be your, of the 150 meeting planners that you talk to, would that be kind of a fair assessment of industry fee range, that sort of thing? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, Grant. Most of uh, those folks are going to be on the corporate side or association side. They are um, you know, real, real meeting planners. What I mean by that is that yeah. is kind of their job, yeah. right? They're not, uh, you know, they don't have a job in marketing or comms and then they, you know, spend uh, one eighth of their year on, on planning the annual meeting. The source of the participants in this research are my clients, um, uh, partners and clients of Speak Inc., a bureau that we partnered with on this project, and then partners and clients of Michelle Joyce Speakers. Michelle is my speaker's agent and represents uh, myself, Joey Coleman, uh, Mark Schaefer, Colette Carlson, and, and, and a number of other speakers. And so it was her contacts as well. So that being said, it's important to note that this was not a random sample survey. Yeah. Uh, 150 participants is certainly a, a, a good pool of people, but it is not uh, statistically valid in the way that a 10,000 person survey or even a thousand person survey was. So what I always tell folks when I talk about these reports is I think these are very accurate directionally, but I would not hang my hat on this is 9% and this is 11%. Yeah. Uh, you know, the margin of error is significant enough that I wouldn't be making life decisions uh, based on this research. But but in lieu of any other research, of which there appears to be none, uh, I think it's really, really interesting to have it available. 
And it's one of those things that like anecdotally, I remember when I was kind of going through the reports myself, there was nothing that necessarily like really was huge, huge surprises, but yeah. it also validates what all of us kind of, you kind of feel, you know, which it can be hard mm-hmm. to quantify. You kind of just, you know, we've, we've both been in the, the industry for a while. So you kind of like, this is kind of my sense, but now you got some, like some, some boots on the ground interviews with people and, and some actual, um, some valid research here that we yeah, can point and there to. Were some and things, like, there yes. were some things on the margins that surprised me a little bit, especially, um, you know, when, when we start looking at, at differences in gender and differences in how long meeting planners have been in the business. I'll give you an example. One of the things we discovered in the report on what meeting planners like and don't like uh, is, that, is that male meeting planners actually have a larger problem with profanity on stage than do female meeting planners. And, and I don't know why that surprised me, but it, yeah. but it did. I guess, uh, you know, you just feel like that, that, that women are a little more sensitive to that. And, and this um, research showed that that wasn't the case. But there's other things, as you mentioned, that you start going through, like, you know what, that, that does make sense. So for example, um, younger meeting planners rely more on, on digital um, uh, assets to, to select speakers for a couple of reasons. One, more comfortable with digital in general because they grew up with it. Yeah. And, and two, they don't have the network of contacts that older meeting planners do, whereas older folks yeah. tend to rely more on word of mouth. They just know more people, right? They've been around the block. Yeah. And so there's a lot of things like that that, that you're right, um, I think do validate some longstanding assumptions uh, but it's been interesting, especially on the topics. I've had lots of speakers call me and say, wow, I'm glad you put out that report on topics because I'm changing the language you know, on my website to kind of match some of the buckets that, that bubbled up uh, in this research. So let's start there. That was the, the first one that I saw. I think the first right. report that you put out was the topics uh, mm-hmm. meeting planners want for 2020. The top three, uh, top topic was leadership and motivation, which wasn't a, a huge surprise there. Uh, second one was trends and disruption. Uh, and the third one was innovation and creativity. I think uh, that the, the thing that stood out to me, um, I want to come back to the, the leadership and, and motivation, um, but the tre- trends and disruption and innovation and creativity, uh, especially we are recording this mid-March 2020. No idea when people will be listening to this and in the future. Um, but at this moment, we are neck deep in this, uh, this coronavirus stuff, and it is dramatically affecting the uh, speaker landscape and speaking industry. So topics like trends and disruption, innovation and creativity uh, have absolutely got to be on the forefront of uh, minds of event planners and companies uh, and speakers, maybe more so than, than ever before. Does that seem to be the case with you and speakers you're talking to? Absolutely. I I think the challenge that people have right now, especially in the context of the virus and kind of the world changing probably in some ways forever, is is how do you present your thinking on disruption at a time when everybody has been disrupted, Yeah. right? So it it has to be sort of like, okay, disruption to what end? And how do you do that without being sort of crass about it? Um, I think that'll be the trick. And there's going to be some very successful speakers that, that kind of figure out the psychology around that. And I think a lot of folks who kind of do it in a ham-handed way uh, that aren't going to be as successful. So the, the top topic there was leadership and motivation. Mm-hmm. Again, not a huge surprise there. Uh, I'd be curious in, in, a, in a world where there are, are no uh, shortage of uh, leadership speakers and motivational yep. speakers. And, yep. and I think a lot of times people, uh, especially people who are getting into speaking, uh, just assume like, well, motivation is the, is the only option. It is the category. And obviously there's a bunch of categories beneath that. But in a sea of other leadership and motivation speakers, how, how can speakers stand out and, and set themselves apart? 
Yeah, I think you got to think about it this way, right? Yes, there is more demand for leadership and motivation speakers, and this research bears that out. However, and I don't have research on this, but anecdotally, I would suggest that there are more leadership and motivation speakers than any other kind of speaker, right? So you have more demand, but also more competition. So I think right. it kind of nets out at some level. Uh, but but one of the things that I would um, urge speakers to consider, and, and this uh, was borne out in one of the other reports, is how much meeting planners value specific expertise. Mm -hmm. Not generalized expertise, but specific expertise. So if you want to be a leadership and motivational speaker, that's fantastic. But what I would recommend is be really, really good. Be the best at leadership and motivation in the home building industry or amongst hospitals or or amongst companies in the Southwest or so, you know, there's a lot of ways to, to niche down. It could be by industry. It could be by job title. So I'm not going to be the leadership and motivation speaker for the executive suite because a lot of people are trying to, to walk that plank, but I'm going to be the leadership and motivation speaker for mid, mid-level managers. And, yeah. and that's my baby, right? So I think you have to say leadership and motivation with one or two qualifiers mm-hmm. and then kill it in that micro category. I think that's the best path to success. Yeah, one of the things that we talk about regularly on the on the show here and with speakers in general is that you want to be the, the steakhouse, not the buffet, is be really, really good for one specific audience versus trying to be all things for all people. Uh, and again, I think the mistake that speakers make in general is, well, leadership's for everybody and motivation's for everybody. Humans need that. But if you, you, you try to speak to everyone and you try to cast that net as far and wide as possible, it's counterintuitive because yeah. we think, well, the more, you know, the more people I can reach with this topic, the more opportunities I'm going to have. But that's ultimately not necessarily what meeting planners and event planners are looking for. Well, and look, if you if you can speak about anything, you can't really speak about anything. Yep. When, I, when, I, when I first got, got serious about this business uh, a decade or so ago, Scott McCain mm-hmm. uh, was one of my mentors who took me under his wing. Um, uh, and, and he said, hey, don't ever forget this. Mediocre speakers have 11 topics on their website and great speakers have three. Yeah. And there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. Very much so. One of the other things that came out of the study here, uh, again, the, to- the study was the, the topics meeting planners want for 2020, uh, is that they really want to see customized content. And I think you really see, you tend to see one camp or the other. You see a handful of speakers out there who's, who've been at it for a while and they're just kind of, this is the talk, take it or leave it. I'm not changing a word for you or for anybody else. I think more and more speakers though um, are, are going to make some customization. I think that there's a lot of discussion around what customization is because it's one thing to say, what's your theme? What's your, you know, what's your tagline? for your company for this year and I'm going to insert that and companies feel like, holy crap, they made this just for me when really it was just kind of, you know, one little thing that swapped out. And I know other speakers who spend hours and hours and hours of research on that company or that industry and really like are swapping out, you know, their big case studies and stories and examples. So when we say, you know, meeting planners want to see customized content, to what degree should we take that? can't say per the research because we weren't able to ask a follow-up question. What do you mean by by customization? So the real answer is it's customized enough that the meeting planner believes it's customized. Uh, And as you said, that that can mean a lot of different things. Uh, I would argue this, uh, again, going back to differences in experience. If you have a meeting planner who has been doing this for 30 years and you want them to believe that you customize, you're probably going to have to customize more than if you have a meeting planner who's been doing this for six years just because they've seen more pitches, right? They've seen more at-bats, they've seen more speakers. uh, And and I, I think it would be wise... Uh, for speakers to look at this research and and every time you have a new opportunity on stage to be thinking about who is the meeting planner, how much experience do they have in the industry, 
And that being the case, what are their expectations going to be for me? Because there are some pretty stark differences. Well, and to that end, also thinking through maybe where they first heard about you or saw you. And like you Mm -hmm. said, if they've been into the industry for a while, I saw that speaker speak at an event a year ago. I had them come speak at my event and they did the exact same talk. Uh, And there there are times where maybe like, that's what we wanted. The thing that we saw you do before, we just do that. Don't change a word of it. Do the same thing. And other times we said, hey, we want you to customize it. And they're like, I've seen it before and you didn't really customize it. So be thinking through the, the context of that. Yeah, we actually talk about that on my show sometimes on Sand Innovation, this idea that, hey, if this is your signature story, do you ever leave it out? Yeah. Uh, and, and occasionally guests on the show will say, yeah, you know, a couple of times I haven't done it. And then the meeting planner's like, hey, how come you didn't do that thing, right? It's like, play the hits, man. Like, you know, it's, it's not like, uh, you know, U2 is going to not play with or without you or whatever, right? right? They're going to play it at some point, even if it's the encore. And that's why I sort of feel like um, Mark Scherenbrock's process is a really good one. So he has a, a database of 30 or 40 stories. I mean, he's so gifted that you mm-hmm. can argue that any story from him is a signature story. But, um, and, and, and he lines up those stories, but then he always freestyles and customizes the transitions. So when he preps for an event, he's like, okay, I'm going to tell story six, story 11, story two, and story nine. And, and, and that's going to be 28 minutes. And then I'm just going to freestyle and invent and customize how I get in and out of each of those stories. And I think that's a really good way to think about it for a lot of folks. Very cool. The second report that you had that came out was uh, what meeting planners want, nine things that drive them mm-hmm. crazy about speakers. One of, the, one of my takeaways from it was the value of substance over showmanship. Yeah. Uh, part of the challenge here though is, again, if you, are, you, if you have great content, but you're boring and dull on, on stage, uh, that can sometimes rub, uh, not necessarily rub the audience the wrong way, but it can just be monotonous and tedious. Like they're a good speaker, but man, it was hard to hang with them. You know? So you, you, I personally, I enjoy injecting humor, injecting uh, comedy and um, having that be a, a kind of a, a relief for the audience versus yep. kind of a, a stale monotone speaker that gives really good content. So how do you find that, that the right balance between the substance and showmanship? Yeah, it did surprise me a little bit, Grant, when I looked at that um, in the report, it, 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 it seems like one of two things is true. Either meeting planners believe that good content and mediocre delivery is better than the converse. Mm-hmm. And I guess as somebody who is really a content speaker, I, I appreciate that and, and uh, can embrace it. Um, or they, they just feel like if you're going to be a keynote speaker and, and even be considered by one of these meeting planners to be a speaker for their event, the performance stuff is going to at least be good and, and maybe better. And yeah. so that's where you think about the audience of meeting planners that we surveyed for this particular research are, are fairly heady, right? And are, and are working with pretty big events and pretty big speakers. And so maybe, and again, I, this is purely anecdotal, maybe it's that they just, because of the size and where they are in their career, they just don't work with a lot of bad speakers, right? And so everybody's at least decent, right? So that fear of like, this person's got great content, but it's truly boring. They just don't have, that just doesn't happen to them. It could be. Yeah. It's hard to know. Um, I know that, that uh, a lot of the best speakers and those that are, are consistent are, can, are booked the most consistently uh, tend to be funnier speakers. And it's not yeah. that you would label them as, oh, they're a comedian who happens to have good content. Um, 
uh, versus like they're, they have really, really strong content, but thankfully they're delivering it in an engaging, entertaining, you know, funny, humorous way. Uh, one of the other things that you mentioned in the report, their top thing that event planners are looking for speakers with specific knowledge and demonstrated expertise. Uh, so how do you, uh, how do you, how do you make sure you're positioning yourself properly to that? Because if in some cases it feels like a chicken egg situation, you know, mm -hmm. you need uh, experience in order to get gigs, you need gigs in order to get experience perhaps. Um, so how do you, how do you find that right balance of, um, especially for, like I think about for me, I got started in my early twenties and there were times where I'm like, the, uh, everyone in the audience is older than me. I have no business being here, right? Uh, and again, some of this comes back to the context of this research, specifically in a you know a corporate association where they may be looking for someone who who has been in the uh, in the trenches before. But what 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 was your kind of takeaways of of uh, event planners looking for speakers with specific knowledge and demonstrated expertise? I think a couple of things. One, you're seeing a big flood of speakers who really come at it from the business community, right? They, they had some sort of business career and have now decided to speak either full or part-time and they are bringing with them uh, category expertise and, and uh, th that gives meeting planners a lot more options for people who have sort of a content uh, background or, or, or experiences in whatever it is that the event is, is about. Uh, but, but I think what, what meeting planners are, are trying to shy away from, and, and I know this anecdotally just from having conversations with a lot of my clients and bureaus, is, is the speakers who say, do this thing, trust me. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and it doesn't mean you've got to have 30 years in the industry, but there has to be some sort of rationale for your recommendations. It doesn't even have to be that you have a job in the industry. As you may know, granted, we may have talked about this on the show in the past. Uh, every time I write a new book, which also means every time I write a new keynote, we actually do like real research, not just this meeting planners report, yeah. but, but, you know, when I did the book on word of mouth, we did a giant survey and study on word of mouth, did a giant study on customer service, did a giant study on content marketing. So, so I personally, just as a speaker, uh, probably spend, I don't know, probably averages $20,000 a year on research. Yeah. Why? Because I want to make sure that I'm not talking out of my ass, frankly. Right, right, right. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, you owe that to your audience. Right. One of the other things mentioned in the report is uh, a list of things that drive event planners crazy about speakers. Uh, the top two answers far and away. Flat suits, number one. I don't know about that. You got that working for you. You, if people don't know. Bald guys in plaid suits. That was the, the, the real issues. That, uh, <laughs> people can't see you right now, but uh, people need to look your, your stuff up because you are the by far the best dressed man in the speaking uh, industry. I'm certainly so the most plaid man. I don't know about best dressed. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, the top two things that annoy uh, event planners about keynote speakers far and away, it wasn't even close was that the content was not tailored and that the content doesn't match the expectations. Yeah. Uh, anything surprise you about that? Well, I think content not tailored is almost the, the flip side of what we talked about earlier, right? About having some customization to the industry, to the audience. And yeah, uh, yeah I mean, you, you, there are some speakers, as you nodded to earlier, who feel like, look, I have, I have perfected this speech over years and it is, it is, uh, it is exactly as it should be. And so yeah. I don't want to tweak it. And, and this research would, would indicate that that's probably a dangerous game to play. Uh, content doesn't match expectations is interesting to me uh, because as we'll talk about here in a little bit, so many speakers are hired based on word of mouth. And so uh, I, I wonder procedurally how that goes awry, right? So, so meeting planner A says, I saw Grant, it was amazing. You should hire him. Here's what he talks about. And then meeting planner B hires you and then you go give the presentation. Like, I didn't think that's what it was. So I, I wonder, is that your fault or is right. it just the person making the, the recommendation happen. didn't really do a good job? So that, that one, it didn't surprise me necessarily, but I thought it was interesting. Yeah. 
Uh, all right, let's go to the last report here. The uh, the top nine ways that meeting planners uh, find speakers, the top three ways uh, where they saw somewhere else. Uh, the second one was uh, word of mouth uh, from other meeting planners or industry people. The third one was for, uh, also word of mouth from other non-industry, non-speaking related people. Uh, to me, the big takeaway there was your your best marketing is a great talk. And yep, uh, it's, the, it's the same type of thing that whenever you go see, uh, whenever you go to, a, you know, your favorite restaurant or say favorite movie or you, uh, you favorite hotel or you, you have some type of experience and you tell other people about that, I'm, I'm oftentimes going to uh, weigh that much more heavily uh, in favor of like if, if, you know, one of my best friends tells me, hey, we both love tacos and I just went to this new taco place. It's amazing. Uh, that's going to, that's going to weigh heavily for me. Like I, I got to go try that place. So it seems to be, that seems to be the case with a lot of event planners is the way that they find speakers is um, by being in the industry, by word of mouth and by, uh, you know, paying attention. It's funny you say that. I, I found a brand new taco place last week, just opened in my town. It was incredible. I liked it so much. I went two nights in a row, wow. uh, told everybody I know about it. And then two days later, shut down by the county, <laughs> all restaurants right. banned. I was like, come on, man. What are, they doing? are they doing carry out though? <laughs> They're not. They're so new. Oh. They're like We can't get it together, which is a bummer. So I hope yeah. they come back. Uh, but yeah. it was finally a great Mexican place in town. Uh, and, and foiled. Uh, but you're right. Like, you know, I, I am a digital marketing uh, consultant and have been for 27 years, right? Since domain names were free, literally. So, you know, my, my bias is always toward win the online game and be great at Google and have a great website and a great um, nurture sequence and, and social media and a podcast. And, and I do all those things. Uh, but, but it was very clear in this research that while those things are not unimportant, uh, having a referable speech, as you talked about in your fantastic book, is is the best thing you can do. The adage in the business, and we all know it, is the more you speak, the more you speak. And there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. Because at every single audience, there's at least one person who can hire you eventually. May not be now, might be five years from now. But they are going to get promoted twice, and then they're going to be in charge of picking speakers. They're going to say, I saw Grant uh, in, in 2018, and it was amazing, and now I'm in charge, and I want Grant. And, and so you have to realize, it doesn't matter if you're sick, you're tired, you think the event's bad, you think the event's small, I think the room is set up crappy, the lights are bad, AV guy sucks. Like it doesn't matter how bad the deal is. Um, every single time you take the stage, it is not only delivering what you've been paid to deliver, but it is a business development exercise for the future. Yeah, very much so. I know that we could both compare plenty of stories of spoke at random XYZ events and didn't think it was worth the time at the initially, but then the right person was in the audience or that led to something, you know, years later. That's impossible to reverse engineer. You cannot build your business yeah. based on that, but they're just time after time after time after time that events have happened because you spoke at something else. Now, again, part of the challenge here is that we both recognize speaking is very much a momentum business. The more you speak, the more you speak. And so, but you have to do something initially to get to that momentum started mm -hmm. um, because if you're doing 50 events a year, it's much simpler than if you're doing none events per year to get going. So sure. uh, what have you found that works well, especially for someone early in their career and they're going, I, I'm doing a couple things here and there, but I'm trying to build some of that momentum. What, what works in, in those situations? I think you have to ask yourself a very simple question, Grant, which is when somebody tells somebody else about my presentation in seven words or less, what do you want them to say? Yeah. And, and that really comes down to having a talk trigger in the parlance of my book, to having some sort of differentiator. 
right? So for me, it's, it's the plaid suits and meeting planners actually get to pick which suit I wear. They get to go to a special okay. website and they select it and all those things. You know, not only That's is the amazing. content I didn't good, know that. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. So you can go, go yourself, dressjbear.com. Um, and and so, so pulling they, that up. they go check it out. Um, and, and so hopefully the content's good and the performance is good, but, but that's the thing they remember because nobody else does that. So yeah. what's the one thing that you're going to do on stage? It could even be off stage because again, the meeting planner is your actual customer, not the audience. What's the one thing that you're going to do that they will remember and, and talk about? Um, everybody you're working with has seen dozens, hundreds of speakers and, and it all blends together the same way events blend together for us. So you've got to, you've got to make a very conscious choice about what it is that you're going to do that they haven't seen before. Uh, and that's why so many speakers who have some kind of a hook, whether it's magic or juggling or a unicycle or a parrot or a ladder or, you know, uh, Steve Spangler doing giant bubbles or whatever, right. you know, speakers who, who actually bring something different to stage have an innate advantage. If, if, your, um, if your recipe for success is I'm smart and I give good advice in a way people can understand, that's awesome, yeah. but there's a whole bunch of you out there and, and you're going to have to come up with something a little sharper. Well, I think it also speaks to, you know, what you're talking about, the taco shop. It's a brand new taco shop. It just opened, but you went there once based on, you know, maybe some advertising or some initial things that they had done to get the ball rolling. But what brought you back the second time was the quality of the product. And so if you do, like you mentioned, even if you're speaking to a small group for free in your local hometown of 50 people, you have no idea who is in that room. And you may be thinking like, nobody's in that room is hiring speakers. Maybe so, but that doesn't mean that they will never be looking for a speaker or that they don't know of someone who is looking for a speaker. I'll tell you a story that I don't think I've ever told you. Uh, how I became a speaker is I never really thought about it as, as a career or even part of my career. I'd given some presentations uh, here or there. I've always been comfortable with the microphone. Uh, and because I was involved in, in uh, online marketing from the jump, I would get asked to go to like the Rotary Club and explain the internet to a bunch of old white guys who are now me. Um, but at the time, uh, they're like, come explain this. And so it was never like a make money thing. It was just like, you know, a few times a year, give a little a quick talk. Yeah. Well, then when I wrote my first book, we did a book tour and we did like a 30 city book tour, uh, had a hundred or 200 people in the audience. We, we, the deal was if, um, if you bought a hundred books, I think maybe or 200, uh, we'd go give a speech about the book. Yeah. Made literally zero, lost money. Um, because I had to pay my own travel, yep. um, didn't charge for the events. And, and you know, you're, you're making like $2 a book or whatever. Uh, right. Cause it wasn't self-published. It was through a publisher. So there was no economic upside, but so I did 30 free events, but, but several people in the audiences of each of those events then subsequently said, Hey, that was pretty good. Could you do that for my company or my yeah. association or my group? And then that became a paying gig and then off to the races and fast forward 10 years and, and here we are. Um, but you're exactly right. Like, you know, if, if you're doing your church or, or a convalescent home or whatever, um, you never know. Right. Yep. And, and not to mention the fact, the more reps you get, the better you are, at least should be. And I always feel like every time you do those gigs, those, those kind of um, ones that are like, okay, this doesn't really have a lot of economic consequences today, man, that's when you got to be testing the new material. That's one of the things we talk about a yep. lot on my show is like, look, you got to find opportunities to, to test. Ron Tite, Ron Tite, who's an, an amazing speaker mm -hmm. and hilarious, calls it the fresh five. So his, mm -hmm. his process is every single time he speaks, he does five minutes he's never done before. Yeah. Uh, and, and he uses that to, to just, you know, try out new material, which is a really good idea. 
Well, before we go further, uh, dressjbear.com is money. People definitely need to check it out. That's amazing. That's really good. I'll be looking for your submissions. It'll go on my calendar. (laughs) This uh, is so good. You got what, uh, 11 different uh, plaid suit options. Yeah, I just got a new plaid suit uh, right before the virus hit. So that was a good investment. Uh, Because <laughs> I'm not wearing it at home, that's for sure. Not very often, unless I'm on camera. So yeah, I got a, now I got 12 suits that I can't wear. Fantastic. That's awesome. All right, so a couple other questions here to wrap up. Um, so as we look through these three different reports, first of all, where, where can people go find the reports? Um, so if we go to, actually, we had a... Um, an actual short URL for the reports and I will find it. We'll find it. We'll find it. So one of the other things I'm curious about while you're pulling that up is um, anything in particular that jumped out at you, anything that surprised you about the reports, anything that you're kind of looking at initially like, whoa, I did not see that coming. You kind of touched on a couple at the beginning there, especially the male, female uh, and what they were surprising, but any like big, uh, big rocks, big takeaways? And I would I would say so so much of what we think about in in speakers is making sure you've got good video right yeah. we talk about it all the time uh, you got to have a good video you got to have a good video the reality is and this isn't an exact question but but when you when you when we ask uh, meeting planners what's the number one way that you find the speakers YouTube slash video was seventh, 5% of meeting planners use wow. YouTube to find speakers. And so what, what that means to me is that, and, and I guess I thought this was true, but it really reinforced it, is that the, the video, your demo reel, if you will, is, is, a, is a risk aversion tool. Yes. Not a gig acquisition tool, right? They're going to hear about you from their friend who's another meeting planner or, or their boss or somebody in the company, the director of sales or whatever. And then they're going to like, so they already have in their head that you're the right answer. Then they're going to go look at your video just to make sure that this person they recommended isn't, you know, way off base, yep. which is why if you actually look at the analytics of most speaker demo reels, even if they're short, you know, most people are going to watch 25% of that video and then they're out yep. uh, because like, yep, this person's not a freak. Good right. to go. Right. right? It's, it's just like, it's like freak test. Right. And so that, I'm not suggesting that you don't have a good demo. I'm not suggesting that you don't put more time and effort into your video. You probably should, but it, it really um, created for me an understanding of where the video lives in, in the, in the research process for most meeting planners. And it's not the top it's middle. Yeah. Interesting. Very good. Uh, all right. I want to wrap up with this. Um, one of the things we kind of touched on earlier is that this was a report. When did you first, re- you released this report? I think in January. Uh, in January. Yeah. We did the, we did the research uh, late fall, 2019, um, November, December, and rolled the reports out in, uh, in January. Uh, actually, you know what we should do? I'll just give you the reports. Uh, there's no sense sending your audience to other places. Why don't you just have them go to your site? I'll just give you a link and you can just do it there. Cool. Uh, works. Whatever works best for you. Um, Okay. So I'm curious, the reports come out in January and January, 2020, new year, new decade. Everyone feels great. We are now, you know, 75 days, give or take into this year. Uh, and the year has changed dramatically. So, uh, this is one of those things that within each passing day, we we're kind of talking before we started recording this, this coronavirus is, uh, is not going to be necessarily this, uh, 
oh, that was a weird week in 2020. This is, this is <laughs> yeah. going to be around for a minute. And so we have no idea how long that minute is yeah. going to be, but it, yeah. with each day, it feels like it's going to be longer than we, any of us would like and have much bigger consequences than we would like. So is there anything that based on the current climate in the speaking world that uh, with what's going on within these reports that you feel like, I don't know if that's accurate anymore, or uh, feels like this could change uh, some of the data? I would think that the um, the topics are going to change. You know, it, it was already a little a little. We didn't ask specifically about um, uh, about elections in this particular report. We probably mm-hmm. should have uh, mm-hmm. because I've, I've heard from several meeting planners that they're getting lots of requests or did before the virus from from events about. Hey, tell me about you know transfer power and elections and and political speakers um, are always hot in election year. So you're seeing. Yeah a lot of former um, political consultants and things like that, taking gigs from more business speakers. Uh, and I think that always happens uh, in a presidential election year. But now I think we're going to have that dynamic plus a whole new wave of, of, uh, of content um, about how do you get back up on your feet, right? How do you yeah. overcome uh, disruption? And I think there's going to be a few different topics that, that really resonate there. One is going to be team team kind of motivation and, and more HR kind of stuff. Um, I think you're also going to have some uh, pretty heavy work on customer experience. Mm-hmm. So how do you regain customer trust? How do you restart customer relationships? Uh, I think that'll be a, a pretty strong focus, um, hopefully in the second half of the year, which is good because that's that's one of my uh, topics. Um, and 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 I wonder if you'll see a a reconstitution of focus on generation. So yeah. a year or a year or two ago, if we would have done this same research, I think we would have seen uh, generations and millennials and Gen Z even higher on the list than it was this year. Uh, but I feel like a lot of meeting planners, like yeah, we've we've heard that talk. From, from there's many great speakers on that topic. And I feel like people are like, yeah, I, I kind of got that now. But I wonder if um, in the very, you know, topsy-turvy workforce and work from home and just mass craziness, I, I wonder if we'll see a, a second wave of, all right, now that the world has changed um, or we're coming out of a changed world, how do you manage people of, of different generations more effectively and kind of keep them pulling on the same rope? Uh, we'll see. Yeah. A lot to be determined right now. One of the things that gives me a lot of confidence is the speaking industry has been around for many, many years. It will be around for many years. It may mm-hmm. always evolve and look different, but people will always have a need for community, for uh, live events, uh, maybe even more so. People are going to come out of a quarantine looking for human connection and uh, speakers have a great opportunity there. So uh, Jay, thanks for the time. As always, enjoyed chatting with you. If people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, check out the podcast, the different books, where can we go? Thanks so much. jbear.com is my main site. J-A-Y-B-A-E-R.com. Sounds good. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, buddy. All right. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jay Bear. Again, I'd encourage you to check out all of his work uh, with Convince and Convert. Check out his different books. Check out the Standing Ovation podcast. And also check out these reports. You know, we talked about these three reports, the topics meeting planners want for 2020, what meeting planners want, and nine things that drive them crazy about speakers, and the top nine ways that meeting planners find speakers. So all three of those reports we're going to put inside the show notes. So you can go uh, pick those up, download those there. Highly recommend that you check those out. Again, like I mentioned at the beginning, make sure that you pick up your copy of The Successful Speaker, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid, and Building Your Platform. If you don't have that, you need it. All right, so make sure you pick that up. Hey, uh, thanks for hanging out with us, my friends. If there's anything else we can do to help you or serve you or support you, let us know. Talk to you soon. You're awesome.